Again, let me say good morning. I'm glad you're here. One of the delightfully peculiar and utterly heartwarming moments that happens in fatherhood is the first time your kid comes to you right around late May, early June. They come to you and they say, Father's Day is coming up, Dad. I'm going to get you a big gift. Now I'm going to get you a gift that's going to blow your mind. A gift is coming to you, Dad. Can I have some money to go buy this amazing gift that's going to blow your mind, right? Now, fathers wouldn't trade that. That is delightful. That's glorious, right? What a great moment. This kid has the heart to buy you the gift. But the irony is not lost on you, right? You give the money, they go buy the gift, they present it. But it never crosses anybody's mind that, that, that somehow you've benefited financially from this whole transaction. They had to borrow the money that was yours to give you the gift. So it's a heartwarming thing, but it may be that there's no better way to describe the way we give to God than that. God who needs nothing. That's what we tried to establish last week. In fact, uh, uh, before we turn to our text, we're going to be in the New Testament, but I just want to show you, in the Old Testament, this very thing is expressed. It's kind of a summary of all that we said last week. Do you remember King David wanted to uh, build the house of the Lord. He wanted to build a temple. David wasn't allowed to build the temple, but his his son Solomon got to build the temple. But David got to, he got to do the fundraising. David got to, to buy the land. David got to prepare all the Levites and the priests. So this massive offering to build this temple, this is probably the, the largest offering the children of Israel have ever been have ever presented, and David gets to preside over all that, and so he gets to pray this dedication. It's like the ultimate offertory prayer, right? You know, you, you, you're a deacon, maybe you're asked to give the offertory prayer, the prayer before the offering. Imagine this. This is the offering of Israel and of all the ways he could pray. Look at what he says in 1 Chronicles 29. I've got it up here. Just You can glance. I mean, you can turn there, but you can glance. Uh, David prays, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Because everything comes from you. And David wanted no confusion. He didn't want anybody to be confused. This massive offering to think that somehow we were giving to God. He says this, we have given to you only what comes from your hand. You know what we call that? That's called (laughs) self-awareness. It's a really valuable commodity right now. But that may be the most self-aware offertory prayer that could be prayed. It's saying, whoa, whoa, yeah, yes, there's generosity. Yes, people sacrificed. Yes, people gave. But at the end of the day, everything comes from you. And we've only given you what comes from your hand. So it's a privilege for us to return. You've, you've allowed us to be this generous. You are the owner, Lord. We are stewards. So that truth that God owns everything. That's what I tried to establish last week. If you're just joining us, if you're a visitor here, welcome. Uh, We're in part two of a two-part series on stewardship. I do it every January. I take a couple weeks, I preach on stewardship. If you missed last week, you really got to go back and watch that because that's foundational to establish that God owns 
everything. He's the owner. We are the steward. So with that truth planted firmly in our hearts, now we're going to turn to our text for today. It's going to be Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, I invite you to turn there, verses 38 through 40. We're going to try to answer the question, okay, so if we've got that truth established that God owns everything, he's the owner, we are the steward, we are the manager, if he owns everything, then what does it mean to be generous? How should we measure generosity? How does God measure generosity? While you're turning to Mark 12, I'll give you the context. Uh, This is Holy Week in the life of Jesus, the last week before he goes to the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection. And so throughout this week, uh, he's been battling the, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the scribes and the teachers of the law. They should have been the ones to like cheer for Jesus, cheer for the Messiah. They not only missed the fact that he was Messiah, they were like openly hostile to him. And they kept trying to trap him and and trick him, and they eventually began plotting his murder, and he's been, you know, battling him back and forth. He had just given the, the speech about the great commandment. Somebody asked him, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Do you remember this? He told him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's given all that, and now something's about to happen at the temple offering. And if you... Um, let, me, let me just insert this here. If you know where this is going, right? It's a, it's a sermon on on uh, uh, stewardship, and some of you have been around church, perhaps been around this church a long time, and you already know where this is going. This is a famous story. You know this story? You know where this is going? At the temple, he's going to sit down in the offering, and the, uh, it's the story of the widow's might, you know, widow. And some of you who have been around this a long time, you're like, seriously, seriously, this poor old widow, she gets trotted out every stewardship series. <laughs> Can't we just let her be, you know? Uh, it's easy to get a little cynical on this topic. I, I mean, I just, I think it's just good to address this head on. Uh, it's easy to get cynical when, when uh, 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 some people would even go so far to say um, that this text is in fact not about the generosity of the widow. It's exposing the abuse uh, of a system that marginalizes this poor person who had no business giving anyway. Uh, and so, I, you know, I would just say if, if you have grown cynical or if you would say, well, this is why I don't think churches, you know, talking about money, maybe this is, this is why I don't give, why? Uh, because you would say there's, there's a lot of abuses out there. And some quote-unquote preachers, some quote-unquote pastors you see on TV, you see out there, they're, they're crooks. And they're bilking people out of money, like, like, like poor old widows, for example, and... Uh, I'm sorry, but that, that's not right, and you're cynical about it. Okay. I would say, if that's you, I would say to you if, you, if your position is, there's crooks out there, I would say, not only are you correct, Jesus agrees with you. <laughs> Jesus starts this whole passage with this warning, and in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes, oh, who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats, 50-yard line at every SEC, no, in the synagogues, sorry. Best seats in the synagogues. Oh, in the places of honor at feasts. Oh, here's Mr. So-and-so. Oh, let's make room for his entourage. Oh, let's, let's come here. Jesus is saying, be careful what spiritual leader you follow because some are not in it for the right reasons. They're just in it for themselves. How do we know? Look, the whole ministry is, is about who? themselves. It's all, look at me. Anybody whose life is, look at me. They have no time to be self, 
They have no time to be God-centered because they're self-centered. They're, they're walking around in long robes, the kind of robes that let everybody know. You couldn't do manual labor in these kind of robes. No, these are, for, these are for show and for prestige. And I love this. They like greetings in the marketplaces. They like to go in where everybody knows them. Everybody knows their name, right? Everybody makes a big deal about them. Now, I would say, it's interesting. Um, so, like if you, if you minister, especially like in a small town for decades and decades, and you faithfully love your people, then this sort of like happens accidentally. Like if you've ministered for decades and decades in a place and you've loved your people well, then you go into Cracker Barrel, everyone does know you. <laughs> like it's a thing, uh, but it's very different. Um, those ministers love the people. Look what they like. Do they like the people? No, they like the greetings. See the difference? There's a difference in loving the people and therefore they happen to know you. This is different. They're in it for themselves. They like the greetings. They like all that attention. Best seats in the synagogue. Place of honor at feasts. Now, in 2022, obviously, we don't have like long robes and, and we don't have like, you know, greetings in marketplaces and, and feasts. We don't have that. So instead, as ministers, we have social media. <laughs> See? And it can just as easily become a look at me, you know? This is the very... Uh, selfie moments, you know, just, oh, just, you know, post that just happened to, happened to catch this little moment. It's my family having a devotion while they're all knitting blankets for the poor. Click, you know, because that's what Jesus was doing when he was on the cross. Selfie, like, you know, right? Nobody ever posts real life anyway. Nobody's ever like, here's a shot of me beating my kids in the minivan. <laughs> Been a rough morning. <laughs> that's hypothetical. That's a Right? You know, the, you know the look at me. Well, Jesus says, beware. Beware. Beware of those who, and in fact, it gets worse. I mean, oh, you might, a little vanity might be forgiven. It gets worse. See, it's not just that they were look at me, who devour widows' houses. What a terrifying verb to use there. But that, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These guys had all the showiness and they had no problem going to widows' houses, praying on these poor widows and making a big flowery long prayer and then charging them for it. I can't help but when I read this verse, I saw this in real life. I saw this. There was a, a sweet a little old lady in our church in New York. We baptized her very late in life, 70s. And uh, uh, she uh, uh, lived really an impoverished life there. And uh, um, was very dutiful, though, about paying her bills. And we were trying to figure out why, you know, uh, things just couldn't seem to get it together, have enough. Uh, we were always having to help her with groceries and stuff. And so I asked to see her check register and kind of talk her through some budgeting things. And she was so dutiful. She only owed a couple bills each month. She had, a, like, an HOA fee for her condo, the light bill, maybe the phone bill. And there it was, all these checks being written. So she had a stack of mail every day. And basically she had gotten on all these lists and these quote-unquote preachers, these quote-unquote ministers, these televangelists were sending her solicitation, you know, stuff. And I got no problem with somebody sending you a letter asking for money. But that's not what I had a problem with. They would do it in a real sneaky way. They would make it look like a bill. So they would put on there like second notice, late note, still have not heard from you, still have not received. And in the fine print it says this is not a bill, it's just a charitable donation. But she couldn't see that. very. And so she would dutifully every month write out a little check because she didn't ever want to miss a bill, didn't want to be... Now, what would you do? Luckily, it was New York, so I knew a guy who knew a guy. And I'm, no, 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 no. I didn't have to do that. Why? I mean, one guy, I was going through it with one guy, and he had, like, no filter at all, you know, New Yorker. And he goes, 
I tell you what, Pastor, there is a special place in hell for this guy. You know? uh, but I said, so we don't have to do that. We don't have to judge. Why? Because Jesus basically says the same thing. Unless that guy repents, they will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus basically says that. In other words, I don't, I don't have to be angry. I don't, I don't, I'm not this guy's judge or jury, but he has a judge. He will absolutely face this judgment. Well, at this point in the message, I mean, the, that's, that's convicting. I don't want that. I want the opposite of that. When you preach on giving, the people are supposed to squirm. But now the preacher's squirming, right? This is convicting to to who? To us, to those who are in ministry. I don't want that. This is an indictment. I, I want to be generous. But, but how do I know if I'm generous? And that's really the thrust of this message. That's the heart of this message. How does one measure generosity? We know we're probably bad at measuring the generosity of others. And that's why Jesus, one of the many reasons, Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. We're, we don't have all the information. But I'm convinced we're probably pretty bad at being a judge of our own generosity in uh, the new testament in paul's letter to timothy he says warn people about the deceitfulness of riches we can be a little deceived in this area and it's not just about money it's about a lot of things if 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 a wife were to say to the husband you know in a moment and, and his argument and tempers are going you know you never help out around the house you never help out with the chores you never help out around the house around the kitchen does the husband think in that moment you know Taken as a whole, there is a kernel of truth in her position. By and large, on average, all things considered, that is essentially true. No. No one ever does that. When you're accused of something like that, what do you do? Your mind goes to the one counterexample that you can find in your memory bank. You say, well, how can you say that? I, do, I, I, I unloaded the dishwasher. Without being asked, nobody asked me, and I took it upon myself to unload that dishwasher. I remember it. The year was 2008. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And I unloaded that. You see what we do? We, we have this incredible ability to sort of self-justify anything. We think of the counterexample. So when you're asked, are you generous, you don't think, well, taken as, well, how do I measure that? You think, of course, uh, just last week, I helped a little old lady across the street and did not charge her, or, or whatever, you know. We think of these little examples of generosity, but, the, but I mean, it's just public data. You, you can be average generous. I think the last statistic I read puts it somewhere at 6%, uh, average income tax data in this country. Just average. This is not Christianity, it's, not, it's just America gives away 6% of their income. So an average giver, 6%. But Christians have had this thing in their, happen in their life where the God of the universe has radically transformed us by his love. The Father's love is overflowing in us. We don't want to be average in giving. We want to be truly generous. So the question is not, does the IRS think I'm generous? The question is not, do I think other people are generous? The hardest question is, am I generous and how do I measure it? And that's why I titled my message today, How Does God Measure Generosity? That's what we're really after. How does God measure generosity? Not, yeah, I think I'm a generous guy. I'm, I'm a good guy. Yeah. I unloaded the dishwasher. I helped, right? That kind of, no, no, no. I want to know how does God measure generosity? And that brings us to the rest of this story in Mark 12. The story is very simple. Perhaps you know it. It's a great story. Verse uh, 41, and he sat down opposite the treasury. 
Uh, Jesus, remember, was fully divine and fully human. So this is the humanity of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus. He's all God, all man. And that means he gets tired. I mean, he's been engaged in these lengthy debates with the, with the teachers of the law. He's been preaching his heart out. And now he needs a rest. So he sits down. And he happens to be opposite the treasury. And he and his disciples apparently begin people watching. That's what you would do too. He watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. Now there's a lot here. He's taking a break. And he's sitting down where the treasury would have been would have been the court of women. Not because only women uh, could be there. But the, out, the temple is built on increasing degrees of exclusivity. So the outer courtyard, Jew and Gentile alike could go out there. That's why they called that the court of Gentiles. When you come through the, the beautiful gate, uh, uh, no, no Gentiles allowed, only Jewish men and women. And, the, and so this is where the, the, the treasury boxes would have been, the, the, the offering collection. Uh, and then, you guessed it, the next court, this is called the court of women because, again, exclusivity, only the Jewish men could go in the next part. And then into the holy place, only, high pri- only, only priests could go into the holy place only priests. So now you've got, not only they're not Gentiles, they're not women, they're not just men, they're priests. And then of course you know in the Holy of Holies, only, only the high priest could go in there and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. You got it? So Jesus is out here where the, where the offering is. And uh, they're actually, these offering collection devices were actually these big brass jars with a big flared, almost like a bell at the top. And so they nicknamed, there were 13 of these collection devices. And uh, the nickname was the, the Shavarot, because that's the Hebrew word for what it looked like. Can you imagine a big brass collection device with a big funneled top? Uh, it looked like a trumpet sitting on, its, sitting on its end with a bell facing the sky. And so that's why they called it the, the, the 13 trumpets, the 13 uh, 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 shofarot, uh, which is Hebrew uh, for trumpets. And so they, uh, you know, for the priests and the upkeep of the temple, and presumably all this is, is going for God. And so they're sitting here and they're watching this, and you got these 13 big brass uh, collection devices, and many people, it says, put in large sum. And I, I point that out about the trumpet and the, the brass uh, to, to have you consider what a noise that must have made. Uh, you, you remember, they're not, uh, they, they, didn't have, they didn't have paper currency, for one thing, and they didn't write checks. It's not like you could write a check. And no one, no one in the ancient Near East gave online because they wanted to avoid the fees. And so they were very wise. And so instead, what did you have? You had coins. You had precious metals. So can you imagine? You're taking, you know, these big bags of coins. You come out, and when you slam a bunch of coins into a brass, into a trumpet, Oh, man, the sound it must have made, right? And so you can imagine when many rich people put in large sums, you imagine, don't you, the disciples, I think it was Alistair Begg who imagines a conversation among the disciples. You know, they're just like us. They're sitting there. They're talking. They're people watching. You do the same thing. They're like, oh, oh, look at this guy. Look at this guy. Third guy from the, yeah, yeah, I bet. I, oh, that was pretty loud, but no, 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 this guy's got, he's he fixing to make it clang. Yeah, no, 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 here it goes, right? They're all, no, no, I think it's this guy, you know, right? It's, it's, it's. In fact, um, some commentators believe that this may have been exactly what Jesus had in mind. Do you remember that odd saying in uh, Matthew 6, chapter, verse 2, where he says, and when you give, don't give your offering like the hypocrites do. They love to sound the trumpets before their giving. Maybe, maybe not, but it could have been a reference to, you know, 
make the trumpet sound was a way of saying, you know, you give them a lot of fanfare, right? And so Jesus says, don't, don't do it that way. They love the big sound of the trumpet. And uh, it kind of, and you can imagine, it would kind of show off. You know, you're like smashing all these coins, looking around. You can hear it. Everybody's like, yeah, see what I'm doing? I'm, you know, see what I'm doing for the Lord? And of course, Jesus says, don't do that. Jesus says, in fact, when you give, give so simply and unobtrusively that you don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. You know? I mean, that doesn't mean give like a ninja. What? <laughs> you know, it just means give simply. You know, that's how ninjas give. It means give simply. It means, you know, don't. don't. What's the modern day illustration of this? Give simply. You, 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 oh, I'll give to the church, but I expect a plaque in my name and a statue of me in the lobby. <laughs> you know, like, come on, right? No, that kind of, that, that's just a clanging symbol because it doesn't have any love. Okay, back to the story. So Jesus is watching people put the money into the offering plate, which I think you, you can't miss that. Jesus watching people put money into the offering plate. One of the, um, uh, COVID, man, but, but the passing of the offering plate, I miss it. And I tell you why, I think it is, it is an important reminder. It's, it's not about the money. It is an important reminder for all of us that the giving of offering is an act of corporate worship. Is an act of worship. So we all miss it. You know, we've got these boxes, and, you know, I don't think they make much of a sound. Uh, I didn't think about that. But, um, but you know what I mean. When it goes around, I, I get it. We shouldn't do that. Fine. Now, here, Jesus watching people give offering, I just, I'm just wondering, like, how awkward would that be? Can you imagine if when we pass the offering plate, one day we just, had, we just had Pastor Scott just sort of stand right above you and watch you as you put in each person in the plate? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, right? Can you imagine? Well, Scott's a human being like you and me, so that's not too much. But imagine it was Jesus. And you're like, I gave online, you know, or something, right? You know, I know what this looks like, you know? Oh, man, that's crazy to think that Jesus could actually see what you give. Okay. <laughs> The point is, this had to be awkward for people who are coming by, except, except for the people who are really able to make a loud noise. They don't feel any awkwardness at all. Why? Because they give big amounts, and so they're not nervous. And so when these big amounts are given, the disciples, the disciples are, are expecting Jesus to celebrate these big amounts. And then what happens shocks them. Verse 42, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And there it is. Ah, yes, the old widow's might. The widow hobbles up amidst all these large gifts and just drops in her two little leptons, which Mark translates as quadrons because he's writing for a Roman audience. Uh, the point of all that is it's the smallest coin they made. These were tiny coins, and she couldn't have made a big sound even if she'd tried, unnoticed by others, but not unnoticed by Jesus. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, there, that right there, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Can you imagine? Of all these massive amounts that you guys are celebrating, I see it for what it is. She gave the most. And not just she gave the most, she gave the most than all of them combined. To which, you imagine the disciples are sitting here going, what? No. 
No, what can you get for, imagine I send you on this wintry afternoon to Walmart on a shopping spree, and I give you a penny. Go crazy, right? What can you get for a penny? Nothing. So I'll double it. I'll give you two pennies. What can you get? Nothing. So Jesus, we're trying to build, you know, a, 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 a war chest here for this campaign we're going to make when, you, when everybody realizes you're Messiah and we're going to be governor and we're going to be like Caesar and you're telling me we're going to fund it with this? Like, oh, somebody's got to talk to this guy. Like, don't you know basic economics? She most certainly did not give more. And Jesus yet Jesus says she does. That's why. To the commentators who read this and to those preachers who read this and say, this text is an indictment of the abuses of those who are marginalized, trying to get people to give when they have no business giving. On the other hand, some would say, no, this is a story about the widow's generosity. I would say, I I think it can be both. I think think that there, yes, the scribes and hypocrites, Jesus is saying, beware. But you cannot tell me that this is, Jesus is not celebrating her generosity. I put, she put more. So finally, the disciples, you know, are looking around. Maybe, they, maybe it was Matthew who had been a tax collector. So Matthew's got a spreadsheet out there. More. Uh, you tell him, Matthew, you're good with numbers. All right. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to help you understand something. You may not be a math person, <laughs> Jesus. But uh, I assure you, all these big sounds are what we're after, not that. And then Jesus, of course, shares the fundamental principle of generosity. It's the point of this whole sermon, and it's the only way to understand the truth about whether or not we are truly generous. He says, verse 44, For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Those two little coins, if you think about uh, uh, like a pension, you know what a pension is, right? A little bit meted out each day. So that widow had budgeted that day. That would have been what she could, uh, you know, not a full denarius where she could have had a full meal, but at least those two coins would have been enough. She could have bought enough calories to keep her alive another day, right? In other words, she could have gotten a little bit of grain or a little bowl of soup or something. She could have lived on that. And for whatever reason, she gave that up to give to God. And so I always wonder, like, what what did she have that night to eat? Did she fast? Did she devote the whole day to prayer and fasting? Maybe. Did she have a a friend or a neighbor who could share a a little cup of soup or something? Maybe. We don't know. Because that's what she had to live on. Instead, she gave it. These who are wealthy are making these big noises. Jesus can see everything. He sees all their hearts. They're never gonna miss it. But she's gonna miss it. What's God's teaching here? What's Jesus' principle? Is it not God's heart has never been stirred by big amounts, and neither should you. God's heart is stirred by percentages. Now, there's lots of ways preachers use to phrase this. They're all right. They all mean the same thing. You might say it this way. It's not the portion, it's the proportion. My favorite is, it's not the sum, it's the sacrifice. It's not the amount, it's the percent. It's not the amount we give, the amount we keep for ourselves. Here's probably the simplest way I could put it. God measures generosity in percents, not amounts. God measures generosity in percents, not amounts. Not to put too fine a point on it, but I've never been one to worry about belaboring a point. Uh, Say, not to put too fine a point on it, but, but, but say you're the person who counts the offering here at First Baptist. I mean, there's a committee that does it, 
um, and say you're on that committee. We have a finance committee and a financial secretary, and all that, and it's Monday morning. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't count. I, I, I never know, by the way. Fun fact. I never know who gives what ever. I don't see any of that. But somebody's got to count it, right? I mean, you got to, for one thing, you have to keep accurate records. For another thing, you get like a tax thing about this time of year, showing your know, charitable giving. But you know the deal, right? So say you're on that committee, and you're counting the offering that was given today. You're counting it tomorrow morning. Counting it, tallying it. And you see checks. I mean, you see people's names on it. You see the online giving. You see who gave that. Okay, here's my question. Um, you see somebody's gift. Were they generous? And the answer is, you have no idea. You have absolutely no idea. Because all you can see is an amount. You say, whoa, what if it's a really big amount? Yeah, what's a big amount? What is $1,000 a generous gift? If you wrote a check to $1,000, First Baptist Coleman, this, would that be a generous gift? The answer is, I have no idea. I have no idea. For some of you, that would be incredibly generous. For others, that wouldn't, that wouldn't it, it would be given out of the abundance, you see. $20. Is $20 a generous gift? Well, to some, you'd never miss it. To a college student, this is life-altering. You understand? <laughs> this is right. That, you get the point. Is, is half a slice of pizza a generous gift? See, it depends on the pizza. If it's New York or Chicago, it's very... <laughs> if... Uh, uh, Pastor BJ is having a, a youth event, and he says, uh, uh, hey, Tom, I ordered 12 large pizzas. And uh, he gets held up, and someone needs him to minister, uh, uh, minister to him. He says, hey, would you do me a favor? Would you run up here? About this event's about to start. Would you, I, they're already paid for, ordered, everything. Um, just go up there and pick them up. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to do that. I walk up, uh, up here. I get the pizzas, 12 large pizzas. I'm coming back, and on the way, I see a homeless person who says, hey, man, you know, could you hook me up? And out of 12 boxes, out of 12 full pizzas, I open up a box. I think, well, this is going to end up in a sermon one day. And I tear off half, not a full slice, half a slice of pizza. And you know how like when you half a slice, the pepperoni always chooses a side. And I move it back over, you know, and I give the guy half a slice of pizza. You would be embarrassed by me. And you'd be right. You'd say, are you kidding me? Out of 12 pizzas, this guy's hungry, and you gave him half, uh, 12 pizzas that you didn't even pay for, the church paid for, and you found it in your heart to give you, give this a half a slice of pizza? Is it a generous gift? No, it's an embarrassment and a shame before God. And yet, I saw it with my own two eyes. Homeless guy in New York City, sitting outside a pizzeria. Guy walks in. And gets his order to go, but then he, hey, give me another slice, grabs a slice, walks outside, gives it to the homeless guy, here you go. Guy's like, thanks, man. And right before he's about to bite into it, he calls his buddy over, who apparently, based on what it looked like, didn't have a home either, calls him over, and right before he's about to eat it, he tears that one slice in half and gives him half. So it's half a slice of pizza, when it's the only thing you're going to eat all day, incredibly generous, isn't it? God measures generosity in percents, not amounts. We get impressed by amounts. God's heart stirred by percentage. Here's the application. For some of you, I hope this is freeing. Here's what I mean. Some of you have been beating yourself up because when it comes to giving, you're so focused on the amount, you think, yeah, but I can't give very much. I can't make a difference. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
Oh, it's much to you. It's a sacrifice. It's not the sum. It's the sacrifice. And if you're sacrificing, you're doing exactly what a blood-bought, born-again, grace-filled child of God is doing. And here you are beating yourself up because the amount is low. You can quit beating yourself up. It's not about the amount. It's about the percent. And it's a sacrifice. So I hope that this is freeing. For others of us, there's no way around it. This is a challenging message. Here's why. It's easy to begin deceiving yourself. Because if you're like a lot of people, especially if you grew up in church, it's easy to think you're more generous than you were years ago. Here's why. Because the amounts have been deceiving you. You are giving such a larger amount now than you ever gave back then. But you've forgotten to account for the fact that God has also blessed you a lot more, right? And so you get in this crazy situation where, believe it or not, some of you were actually more generous years ago when you were giving a smaller amount. Because the amounts have gotten bigger, but the percent really hadn't changed at all. And so it's a challenging word. Now, in terms of percent, to get very specific, I... uh, I want to be very uh, careful and thoughtful, and here's why. I have a conviction that uh, in the New Testament, a New Testament Christian is not uh, under the law. We're under grace. Therefore, I do not believe that a New Testament Christian is legalistically obligated by the law uh, to, well, for that matter, no law, right? We're, We're free in Christ. That means we're not legalistically obligated by the kosher foods we eat, nor by what's called the tithe. So I don't believe a New Testament Christian is obligated to tithe. Here's the problem with saying that sentence. Tithe, over time, has become, instead of the very specific usage I use from the Old Testament, tithe has, over time, begun to mean much more than it really means. The simplest example I could thought of, I know it's a weird example, but... um, uh, I have one here. <clears throat> okay, what do you call this? What do you call that? Yeah, see, okay, you were all supposed to say Kleenex, and I was going to point out, well, technically it's not Kleenex, it's facial tissue, and of course, just my luck, it is Kleenex. So the whole illustration's ruined, but <laughs> <clears throat> I wish I had a Polaroid, because then I would take a picture with a Fujifilm camera, and I would spit the little thing, and I would say, what's this? And you would all say, it's a Polaroid. And I would say, no! It's a Fuji camera that is produced since in film. Polaroid is just a brand that has become over time to mean the whole thing. Uh-oh, I may have lost everybody. <laughs> so tithing is the Old Testament command to Israel where it, whereby an ancient Israelite would return 10, 10% of his income to the Lord. We use the word tithe now to mean all giving. And I'm saying that there needs to be a distinction there. So technically, if we're going to get technical, a Christian is not legalistically obligated to tithe. But that doesn't mean a Christian in the New Testament shouldn't give. That, 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 that's not it at all. Does that make sense? Good. Maybe I didn't lose everybody. Okay, good. So what does the New Testament teach? Percentage giving. It's between you and the Lord. It's not about the sum. It's about the sacrifice. There are countless examples of this. The best in the Bible may be on the very piece of ground where this widow's might story takes place. If you recall, 
I told you already, David wasn't allowed to build the temple, but he got the whole process started. And it starts in an interesting way. And I'll, I'll, one day I'll preach a whole sermon on this fascinating story. He realizes he needs to make a, a, an offering. A great trouble is going to befall Israel, and the angel of judgment is there with his sword pulled out. And uh, David says, don't let your wrath fall on all these sheep. Instead, let there be an atonement, a propitiation that turns away your wrath. And on this ground where it's going to be, um, this incredible mercy happens, and there's this, uh, this altar, this sacrifice, and the lamb dies for the... Anyway, David says, that's the land. This is the land where we're going to build the house of the Lord. And the land started out as a threshing floor, and it was owned by Mr. Ornan. And so David goes to Ornan and explains what's going on. He needs this property for this massive, you know, it's going to be this altar and everything. And Ornan says to him, and David says, so I'm going to pay you full price for it. And Ornan says... What are you talking about, pay me? You're the king. This is for God. Like, take it. <laughs> Just take it. You can have it. David says, no, 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 no. I'm going to pay you full price for it. Ornan's like, no, take it. This is, you're the king. David says, basically, I'm the king, so we're going to do it my way. <laughs> and here's the deal. And here's, he gives not only his kingly reason, he gives his theological reason. He says, no, I'm going to pay you full price for it. Why? Because I will not offer to the Lord something that costs me nothing. And on that very plot of ground, a thousand years later, comes this widow. Right there on that very plot of ground. Who, just like old King David. This man, King David was the mightiest man in the land. This widow was the weak and the marginalized. Oh, but she had a lion's spirit, didn't she? What courage, what sacrifice. I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And she went without that day. I don't think that was lost on Jesus. Chuck's going to come and lead us in a, in a response, a time of invitation. I want you to hone in right here on this very plot of land. Brandon's coming. Sorry. Somebody please come. Help me. I want you to realize the context. That's what I'm trying to say. Talk not only about the temple context, but about where we are in, in the story. When, when that widow comes up to give that offering, where are we in the life of Jesus? When that widow gives her offering, where, when, when they're there in the, in the offering treasure, treasury, at that point in the story, Jesus has 48 hours to live. 48 more hours, then he's going to go to the cross. The agony of Good Friday, the silence of Saturday, the glory of Resurrection Sunday morning, all that's coming. At this point, he's got 48 hours to live. And he's sitting down because he's physically exhausted. But I think spiritually and emotionally, he's about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to weep. As it were, like, drops of blood are coming out. And what does he just preach? What was his last speech? His last speech was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. As in what? As in God doesn't do fractions. And you want to talk about percentage giving? Here's 100%. God gave his only begotten son. To die, to redeem sinful men and women, boys and girls, and restore them back to their heavenly father. And here he's, he's, he's looking around, and it's like, is anybody getting this? Is anybody getting Because the poor disciples, bless their hearts, they're fighting about who's going to be, you know, 
lieutenant governor in his new kingdom. They're all worried about, man, we're going to get rich. We're going to get powerful. And here's Jesus giving everything, going, does anybody get it? Nobody gets this. And it is not lost on Jesus. There's no way it's lost on Jesus. That when those rich people started to come to that treasury, it's 48 hours, he's about to die. It's not lost on Jesus that some of those people put silver coins in that treasury. And another piece of silver. And another piece of silver. And Jesus is sitting there counting them out. And by the time he gets to 30 pieces of silver, it is not. He knows what's in the heart of Judas. Those very coins in the widow's mite story, those very pieces of silver, he knew those are blood money. And in just a few short hours, those are going to be the very pieces of silver that are going to be used to bribe Judas, to betray Jesus. He's looking around going, does anybody get this? Anybody? I mean, is anybody going to stand with me? Is is anybody going to say, all your heart, all your soul, does anybody love God like that? He needed a friend. He needed an encourager, didn't he? So isn't it like God the Holy Spirit to impress upon this widow, today's the day. Fast. Why, Lord? I, I need a bowl of soup to eat. You can eat tomorrow. They're going to be talking about this for years to come. For my glory, go. Give it all. Okay. So she goes. She goes. Who knows why? She presumably didn't do this all every day. But that day, she did. Right in front of Jesus. So that Jesus, who's sitting down, who's in this low moment, who sees the silver coins going in there, sees that widow give all she had. And Jesus goes, that's my girl. Somebody gets it. Somebody gets it. And who knows, who knows what those two widows might. Preacher's been talking about it for 2,000 years. Who knows what those two copper coins are going to look like in the new heaven, new earth, in their glorified state. You think Bitcoin will be inflated in value. Forget it. That's chump change. Compared to what those coins look like in the new heaven, new earth. Because nothing is ever lost. Nothing is ever wasted. Not in the kingdom of God. Not, not when it's given with sacrifice. Not that. And there, what, 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 what to our eyes looks like such a small amount to God. What a great and glorious sacrifice. So I hope that we, like David, stewardship, I, I hope you see, it's not just a two-week series in January. Stewardship is a lifestyle. By which we freely admit, we are not the owners. Everything is yours, God. When we give, we just give out of your hand. And no, we're not giving out of guilt or condemnation or an Old Testament legalistic framework. God, we are free people. And we are free to give out of the abundance you've given us. God, put that heart of generosity in us. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, teach us that you own everything, that we are just the stewards God, grant to us hearts of generosity that look more and more like your son who gave everything. And let that love overflow in our serving, in our time, and in our giving, Lord. Grant that to us. In Jesus' name, amen.